If there's nothing new under the sun, then it makes a lot of sense to look to those who have gone before us for the answers to live boldly and confidently today in a world that continues to unravel around us with so many young and old struggling to make wise choices. We welcome back to Basecamp Live, Dr. Louis Marcos, a scholar who engagingly brings to life the wisdom from the ancient teachers from the Greek and Roman world. These thought leaders from centuries ago have a lot to say about living well and flourishing as we lead and guide the next generation to love God and love neighbors. We welcome back to Basecamp Live, Dr. Louis Marcos. mountains. We all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. We're live at the ACCS conference in Dallas with my good friend Louis Marcos. How you doing, Louis? Great to be back. It's great to have you back. It's good to be just together. You know, we've, it, too much Zoom these days. I think. I tell you, I've, I've hugged more people in the last day than you know the last year combined. It's yeah, it's a, great. It's incarnational it's again. Inca- that's a good. It's, yeah, there's it a is. hug deficit going on around here. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Louis Marcos, let me share a little bit of your background. Professor of English and scholar in residence at the Houston Baptist University. Louis, you speak widely on ancient Greeks and Rome, Lewis and Tolkien, apologetics and classical education, of course. Uh, you just upped my number. We, I thought you were at 18. You're up to 22 books. COVID's been good for you. COVID's been good. I just keep writing. You well, just, I'm not bored. Yeah, there's no slowing down for you. And if folks haven't come across, your newest book is Myth Made Fact, but you've got a newer one even still coming out uh, from Plato to Christ, hey, How Platonic Thought Has Shaped Christian Faith, which sounds fantastic. Great. From University, so... Well, which is a great publisher. That's yeah, even, they yeah. really are. They're the ones that did um, From Achilles to Christ, Why Christians Should Be the Pagan Classics. And these are like two sequels. One's yep. taking you into philosophy and Plato. The other one is saying, okay, I've already talked about the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Greek tragedies. Let's talk about what's behind them, yeah. the Greek mythology. Yeah. So I'm going back to the source. As Wonderful. Well, and, and again, I, you know, we were talking earlier, kind of our, you know, the audience of Basecamp is, is a good mix. I don't know. We, we should do a survey out there. But, I mean, we're probably a good mix, 50-50 almost, between... Uh, parents uh, who have chosen to put their kids in classical Christian schools and educators and teachers increasingly, which I deeply appreciate. And so I think at face value, we all appreciate the classics. I mean, there's certainly a cultural moment we're in right now where anything that, that is behind us or old or uh, is out of fashion, and if it just uh, has been dismissed even more by our culture today. C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. That's exactly that's what we it are. is. Chrono- it is, and more than ever. And yeah. it's, it's not only do we ignore it, we, we condemn it as dangerous, and uh, whether it's too old, that white, it, it used guys. to be they only did that to the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. <laughs> right. Now they're doing it to anything. It's, that's a great you know, That's point. not even five years ago. Yeah. It's, it's just, just, it's all gone. It's all darkness, superstition, uh, uh, intolerance, oppression. It, yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. So do you, do you, before we get into that, you know, this is actually a really interesting kind of opening comment from you. I mean, you're, you're increasingly uh, out of step with the culture. I mean, you're writing about things that are yeah. being dismissed. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're the guy trying to sell Yellow Page ads right. and the, uh, you know, 10 years ago, like nobody's reading the Yellow Pages yeah. anymore. It, it, and it seems like, Howard University, all these other are just dismissing the classics. So you're leaning hard in the direction opposite everything around you right now. I mean, right now, our democracy is disintegrating. Yeah. If we want to stop it from disintegrating, the best thing to do is go back to the birthplace of democracy. But Athens, the Athenians invented democracy. 
fifth century, we call it the golden age of Greece for a reason. Mm. That is the beginning. And you need to understand, Davies, people don't realize that this Western tradition, this is often called the Western Christian paideia, the Judeo-Christian Greco-Roman, that is the only civilization culture that allows for reasoned discourse. If we give up on that paideia, we're not going to be able to talk to each other. Because if we can't accept reason, objectivity, logic, all of these ideas, yeah. if, if we start saying that those are somehow white, we're in real big trouble. Right? Yeah. Well, so we've got to go back and learn what made them great and also learn what caused them to fall apart, yeah. as our founding fathers did. Well, and in, in a very, in a, gosh, this is a whole other podcast inside of our podcast, Lee, because that's really, I mean, not only is it a dismissing of the old and, and now categorizing as dangerous, there's really just an, an entirely new... Uh, uh, anti-intellectual, don't even reason. Reason is dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how do you, you you're dead in the water? Even ha- it's like trying to talk to somebody in another language. Like we can't even communicate if you're going to immediately dismiss anything that requires logic and re- well-reasoned argument. So, we can't. I mean, yeah. if if actual physical, objective police statistics mm-hmm. are going to be thrown out, and one person that was killed that was put on the media right. is deterred. Well, you you can't talk to these people. No, you, you can't have a reasoned discussion. No. Because they've decided that their story trumps the actual logical objective right. facts. Exactly. So, you, so, so, so I guess the the uh, the footnote here is one has to be willing to engage in some form of rational, logical discourse to even enter into a conversation about the great works and the classics. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just you're, you're not even going to get there. Yeah. So, but uh, the good news, I think, most people listening are yeah. are on our side and are well reasoned people who are, are aspiring to say, yeah, we've got to do something, and maybe we need to continue to look. Uh, in the rearview mirror, if you will, for for the wisdom, certainly from Scripture. Right. But, you know, you're a scholar. You live in the Greco-Roman world. If, I, if people are wondering, you're not wearing a toga. I will, <laughs> I will vouch for you. You're well-dressed, but not a toga. But too many people today are only looking for answers in the present. So are there role models? Walk us back through kind of the ancient pre-Christian thinkers and, and give us some ideas of how they addressed how to flourish and live well, because there have been other periods yeah. in history like this. So I mean, especially yeah. today, when the danger is the fall of democracy. If you want some good role models from the 5th century BC, number one, you've got Pericles, the funeral oration. What does it mean to be an Athenian? What does it mean to be a citizen? What does Greece stand for? He called the Athenians basically a city on the hill, just like we did. We, we combined Pericles mm. with, you know, Jesus, you know, not putting your light under a bushel. But, you know, Pericles talked about what it means to be in a society where you can be private and public, all these things. So that's the first place to go, the funeral oration. Another place to go are the Greek tragedies, because the Greek tragedy is a genre that only was invented in Athens. It doesn't appear in Sparta, Thebes, Corinth, anywhere else. It is Athenian, and mm. it is meant to be a genre that is experienced by all the people in a democracy where they can discuss issues as they do in Antigone, right? But the most important place to go, my hero is Socrates. Of course. Okay? Socrates, uh, again, the, technically speaking, the Golden Age was sort of destroyed in 404 BC because that's when the Peloponnesian War ended with the Spartans defeating the, the Athenians. Yeah. But I would say the real end of the Golden Age is five years later, 399 BC, when they put Socrates to death mm. right, for so-called corrupting the youth and teaching foreign gods. He got canceled. Yeah, yeah. he did. He, oh, my, in a big way. He got <laughs> swatted. He was a gadfly, got swatted. Right? But if you think about it, the irony is that at the very moment democracy has been swatted at that very moment we get one of the most powerful 
uh, apologetics mm. for what it means to live in a democracy. What we call sometimes we call it Socrates' apology because mm. Socrates, in fact, gave it. But we also call it Plato's apology because he's the one that wrote it right, down. Exactly, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and apology, it's just like we use our word apologetics. Today. Apology is a defense. He's in no way does Socrates That's say not, I'm sorry. I'm saying you're sorry. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it. If he had and yeah. cried and wept, oh, and you know all that sort of, yeah. they might have let him live. But yeah. I'm not going to do that. I've, I've stood by the truth. Oh, he's 70 years old. I'm not going to kill my, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to kill my my everything I've taught to live another few more years. Right. Right. So in in that document, the apology, he is laying out. I think not only what it means to be part of a democracy, but what it means to be human. Mm. Right. And the famous story about Socrates. It all got kicked off when one of his friends went to the Oracle of Delphi, and asked, "Is there any man wiser?" than Socrates. And the oracle said, no, there is no man wiser. So he went back and told Socrates. And Socrates said, this can't be true. This is a riddle. I have got to solve this riddle, just like Oedipus. Even if it kills me, I'm going to solve this riddle of who I am. And so all I need to do is go around, and if I can find one person that's smarter than me, then I will know it's not true. Just like uh, I, I always say to the atheist, you know, I can defeat you by showing you if there's anything in the world that could not have gotten here except by natural physical processes, then you're gone. Right. right? Because it, right. everything has to be within the natural field. Okay, so here, this is the riddle. He's going out to solve the riddle. So where do I go? Well, I, you know, this is a democracy. Those politicians, they're really smart. Okay, <laughs> I better go to them. So he goes to them and he starts questioning, what is justice? What is this? And he finds out none of them have any idea. Even though they're probably declaring we all need to have yeah. justice and all these That's words right. are being used. Yeah, they yeah. say it. It's just like an educator right. who doesn't really know what education is. That's pretty much the public schools today. Yeah. They don't even know what it means to educate someone. They know right. what it means to indoctrinate somebody. Right. So they know what it means to educate someone. And But he found out that, yeah, they thought they knew. And then he realized, you know, I actually am smarter than him. Not because I know, but because I actually know that I don't know. It's that famous Socratic mm -hmm. humility. Yeah. And you know this. The more you learn, the more you realize what you don't know. Exactly. Right. It, it, and you get that wisdom as you go. If you're a young kid that knows nothing, you think you know everything. Right. In fact, you know the word sophomore in Greek, sophos, Sophia means wise. Moros, as in moron, means fool. <laughs> a sophomore is a wise fool. Well so, named. Yeah. And they are. Think about yep. it. You're not a freshman anymore. Right. So you think you know everything, but yeah. you actually know nothing. You're very so, dangerous yeah, at that you're age. You're dangerous. Right? A sophomoric yeah. person is dangerous, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So Socrates, and he also goes to other people. He goes to the uh, poets and the craftsmen, and he finds out that the poets really don't know anything. They were just inspired, sometimes by madness or whatnot. And he, he, I love how he says this, because I'm a professor. Any p person in the audience could have interpreted that guy's poem better than he could. He has no <laughs> idea what he's writing. Right? right. Then he goes to the craftsmen, and I love this. The craftsmen, because they are brilliant at one thing, woodworking, let's say, they think they understand everything else. I found this to be most true of doctors. I love doctors, but a lot of doctors are brilliant and they know nothing about anything else. Right. But they think they do, right? Uh, Lawyers yeah. are even worse. One right? trick pony, there yeah, you go. Boom. Yeah. So he's, he's like, no, they, they, but they, because they're really good legitimately in one thing, but they don't know, they don't have wisdom. Right. Right. So finally, Socrates is like, oh my gosh, you know, I am smarter because I know that I don't know. And, and what Socrates is helping us to understand is... Now, Socrates did not know that we were made in God's image, but fallen. You, you need special revelation for that. You need the Bible for that, okay? But he knew that we have this innate dignity, but we also have limits. Yeah. And I really think that it's in the midst of that synergy between our nobility and our ability to do almost anything right. and our limits and our yeah. lack of wisdom. I think it's in that synergy 
that we emerge yeah. as human beings. It's really interesting. I mean, it is the biblically, it's the engagement of kind of the, the spirit and the flesh. I mean, we're, we're these, we're these the, the, the two in one right. existing together. And is it just to back up one step? You know, you're talking about just the the age of the hyper specialists that really don't know. I mean, I, I remember reading years ago Heather Wilson, who was on the Rhodes uh, Scholarship Selection Committee, wrote a wrote a piece called "Superficial Scholars" because she said well, this is the trend in education. Of course, is that you get these folks that can, you know, explain in their triple PhD some quantum physics thing, but they have no idea just the most basics of sociology or how human humans interact and in, in, in other dimensions, um, humanity certainly being left oh, well, out altogether. Know, yeah, You've read Richard Dawkins. Whenever Richard right. Dawkins talks about philosophy, it's, it's laughable because he has no idea what he's talking he's no about. <laughs> like he actually says, these Christians keep saying that God is simple. God is not simple. You don't even understand what simple means right. in philosophical terms. Right. It's like philosophy 101. Right. So he doesn't know. And, yeah. and by the way, C.S. Lewis said this too about people like Freud. Mm. In psychology, he understood. But when he starts talking about literature, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, I know something about that. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Right? But, but no, this, this specialization thing. I mean, okay, in the sciences, it's good. Although... Yeah, maybe bioethicists too, but yeah. in the humanities, it, it's destroying everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've heard the old adage, uh, let's see, the Titanic was built by experts. <laughs> Noah was an amateur. <laughs> you love that. Right. But, and I want you to notice that as we've redefined wisdom to be specialization, notice at the very same time we have marginalized old people. Because it, of course. I mean, right. wisdom is the wisdom of age. It's age plus experience plus virtue. Right. Right. And the young whippersnapper that knows nothing but his little spin. Yeah. But people turn to them. The yeah. experts say, and therefore it must be true. Yeah. I mean. Well, the, and, and really in the spirit of what we're trying to, I mean, the, kind of the sub the text of our whole podcast here is the fact that we are in an, uh, this this incredibly difficult age in which the answers that we most readily need are generally behind us, but we only look forward. So there's just this this impossibility, especially for young people today, which is, again, why I love what we're doing with classical Christian education, because we are training a generation to certainly be, re- you know, real world ready, as I like to say. This is not a let's create a bunch of uh, sheltered, overprotected kids that only read, you know, books of, you know, of quaint days of old. These are kids that are robustly ready. But I think most of us listening, and include myself in this, often, you know, see the great, the great text of old in this very um, polite, of course, we want our kids to read these things, but do they really have keys to unlock realities uh, and, and solutions to the world right outside our doors. And, and yes, I mean, these they are, do. there's that's nothing new under the sun. Back. Right. That's why we keep, yeah, that's right. We, we keep coming back to them again and again because they answer the questions. Who am I? Why am I here? How do I know I have a purpose? How, yeah. What is, what is the nature of a good state? I mean, everything's in the Republic. Right. If you want to understand why, and, and of course, you know, our founding fathers created a document that still lists, everybody's trying to kill it, but it still lives because they studied everything, not just the Greeks. They looked at the Romans, right. Republic, and uh, Empire. They looked at the Carthaginians. They looked at uh, at the Venetians. I mean, they also went back yeah. um, that far. But they looked at, the, you know, e- even the little leagues that the different Greek cities put together. They looked at them, and they judged. It's discernment. I, I like to say that the great books, we should use them like a lathe, mm. right? Because you, you shape a piece of wood against right. a lathe. So there's two wrong ways to read the classics. One wrong way is to say, it must be false because it was written by a dead white guy. That was, that right. was uh, Doug Wilson today. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you just dismiss But it's also bad to say, it must be 100% true because it was written by a dead white guy. Absolutely. I mean, we, we are in a dialogue with them. Right. And my, to me, as a, as a classical educator, what I'm doing is inviting my students in to the great dialogue that's been going on since the five books of Moses and the Iliad and the Odyssey yeah. and everything that came in between. We're in a dialogue. And the irony, Davies, is 
we only want to read non-canonical literature. Well, if you haven't read the canon, then you don't even know what non-canonical <laughs> literature means. Right. You don't even know what it's reacting against. Right. So you have to have this baseline, these people that, you know, we, we don't understand how rare something like democracy is in the history of the world, a real democracy. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the rest of the world was like Persia or something right. like that. Well, uh, and we don't understand how tenuous civilization is. It can collapse. It's like a garden. If you're, unless you're constantly pruning it, it goes wild. Pulling the weeds out. That's yeah. right. We're going to take a quick break. I want to, I want to come back and I want to go back into a little bit more of um, Socrates and some of the discoveries in, the, in this piece that you've you, you've referenced and that we I know you're you've done a whole lecture on really sort of unpacking the Oracle of Delphi and some of the the very contemporary solutions that are embedded in that and I, I really appreciate your point you know we think about you know America and founding fathers and we think about Constitution and I think sometimes we stop there and think well these guys just had this you know d moment where they just penned all of this in a in a vacuum and it right. wasn't it was penned against the backstory of all of this literature and story that they built it upon and found the best of what humans have ever come across as it's, far as you know, civilization. This, this idea that I'm a better musician because I haven't listened to any music, no, it doesn't work yeah, that way. Right. You, build, you, know, you build on the shoulders of giants. Uh, like, why wouldn't uh, you want to? Right. Like, what's his name? Newton said that, or Copernicus. No, well, no, Newton, it was Newton. Yeah. I'm great because I'm on the shoulders of well, giants. Well, Jonathan Edwards said that. He said uh -huh. he stood on the shoulders of his grandfather who stood on the shoulders of his father, and he's standing on his father's shoulders. I'm like, imagine coming out of the, into the world, talking about generational, there's generational yeah. sin, there's generational blessing. Yeah. You can stand on top of those who've gone before you. So I think Hebrews talks about that too. Well, hey, well, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with Dr. Louis Marcus. Basecamp Live listeners, I wanted to take a quick moment and let you know about an outstanding resource from our friends at Classical U. Start or continue your journey toward classical Christian education mastery on the new and redesigned Classical U. Classical U now features a pathway planner, cohorts, interest groups, live book discussions, learning events, and four-credit graduate courses from the Templeton Honors College. With the Templeton Honors Partnership, the work you do on Classical U can earn you credits that you would apply toward the Master of Arts in Teaching at Eastern University or be accepted at other universities. Classical U offers all of this as part of its affordable monthly subscription for groups and individuals. If you're curious about what's on Classical U, check it out risk-free with a 14-day trial. The first two presentations of every course are also completely free at all times. Take a look now at ClassicalU.com. We'll continue in this conversation with Dr. Louis Marcus. Louis, it is, uh, these are fascinating and difficult days in which we're living, and we are so in need of uh, the wisdom of the past. And I'm so grateful that, that you're helping to bring that alive for us because it's really easy, again, as we were talking before, just to live in the present and to think, well, this is a plight education my kids are getting. They're studying the old dusty white guy stuff. But really, um, what does that have to do you know, with, with the modern world? It has I everything mean, to do with it. Yeah. The past can be lost. We need to understand. Yeah. You know, tradition means that which is handed down. Yeah. And we could lose it. I mean, again, c civilization is a tenu It's not a natural thing. Right. It's as na it uh, just like for. a beautiful garden at like the, the Versailles. That's not natural. It's nature, but you have to cultivate it Correct. so that nature will find its proper form. Yeah. Nature left on its own will go wild. Yeah. Well, and that's that's wild's the word. That's where we yeah. are today. So so we, we are wild. I mean, we we can't speak to each other. I'll give you an example from Socrates' Apology. Right? Okay. They, they've put him on trial uh, for corrupting the youth. 
right? And so Socrates does his own little cross-examining. He calls Miletus, who's one of the people that's accused him of, excuse me, corrupting the youth. Yeah. And so he says, oh, Miletus, I can see that you must be very, very concerned about education, and therefore you must be very concerned about youth. Well, you say I corrupt the youth. Tell me then, what is good for the youth? And of course, the point is, my leader's never thought because he doesn't really care. Right. Well, what's well? Let me help you. What, what's good for the youth? Uh, uh, are these people in the jury? Are, are they good for the youth? Oh yes, Socrates. Well, are are the, are the civil leaders good for the youth? Oh yes. Are they? And he goes through everybody, and he says, so everybody in the uh, democracy of Athens is good for the youth, except me. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be so wonderful if everybody helped the youth and only one person? But is that the way it works with horses, for instance? Is everybody? No, usually it's only one or two people that know how to take care of horses, and the other ones do them damage. So now, in a way, Socrates is really guaranteeing that he's going to be killed because he's public. But what he's trying to say is, you people really don't care about the things you say you're caring about. You haven't really thought about what's good for youth. Educators, have they really thought, or have they thought about how to push forward their 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 agenda? Yeah. Right. So Socrates yeah. uses the the Socratic method to uncover this person's insincerity, but it can also be used properly, Davies, as in the the dialogues where you're using question and answer to reveal the truth. Because if we want to find the truth with a capital T. One of the things we have to do first is eliminate all the small T truths because all the little T is blocking me from seeing the capital T. So we do need to use that method as a way of scrubbing away so we can realize the errors we've made so we, then we can get... Okay, C.S. Lewis once said, if you are in a wood and you're lost, the most logical and progressive thing you can do is, is go around. backwards right. and find out where you took the wrong fork and get on the road. And we are just like that. We have completely gone astray. Yeah. We need to go back to the beginning. That's our founding fathers. But before that, it's, you know, it's, it's the Renaissance. Before that, it's the early church. Before that, it's the, the Greeks. I mean, there, there's lots of things. It starts yeah. with the Greeks and moves forward. But we've got to go back and reclaim our... Okay, look... They, these critical race theory people, they, 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 they say they're all about the innate and essential dignity of people, but they don't believe in essential worth and dignity. They believe all of us is part of a class, either oppressor or oppressed. They do not, and they have no foundation capable of telling you that you, just because you're human, have essential value and worth. That is a Judeo-Christian idea. The Greeks and Romans had an intimation of it, but ultimately it's the imago Dei, the image of God. Right. So they, they don't have a platform to support their belief that people are important. In the same way, they say they want discourse and freedom of speech, but their foundation doesn't offer any kind of rational field where we can speak. Right. That doesn't happen, and that's why the shouting down is actually completely endemic to their worldview. It's not a—see, that's the difference between Christianity, where it leads to something bad, a kind of bad inquisition. That's a corruption. But Marxism, when it leads to what it's done over the last hundred years, is absolutely in keeping with Marxism. That says you have to eliminate the people that are holding back utopia. Right. So in other words, it's, it, it, it's not like the Soviet Union and Maoist China was a corruption of Marxism. It was a true embodiment of it. a fulfillment of it. Of it. Yeah, right. it just didn't work. Right. Because it was wrong. But I mean, right. you're right. doing it, and it's always going to happen. There's always going to be some kind of a scapegoat that is holding back utopia, so you have to eliminate them or shut them up or whatever it happens to be, yeah, yeah. Or, or sterilize them, yeah. back to Margaret Sanger, uh, or you can't move forward. Yeah. And that's not you know, the Christian view. <laughs> no, but again, it, the, as you're describing, this isn't 
something that just happened. It sounds like it could have happened last week in the news. It probably yes. did. And it's and it's. But let me go back to because again, when you think about Socrates and and Socratic discussion, I mean, again, I don't think there's a classical Christian school, or there shouldn't be one in the land that doesn't have a high school program that has Socratic discussion taking place. I mean, it's kind of one of the things you hear in every open house in every classical Christian school. And, and I think a lot of parents, again, and teachers maybe, we, we appreciate it and they're going to have a conversation. Right. But it's a lot more powerful and deep. And I mean, so yes. I mean, this is really, again, why we study and why we look behind us is because there's the model of even how to have a right. rich civil discourse to find truth. So how does that work? I mean, it is. I mean, yeah. It's all about definitions. We, if we don't know what side, I mean, that, that's the thing with critical, they keep changing the definition. Of I course. Mean, I right. mean, you know, by, like, for instance, if you go by their definition, I'm a sexist because I believe there are essential differences between men and women. When they call me a sexist, they don't mean that I'm mean to women or I think ma- masculine things are better. No, yeah. they, they just mean if, if I even suggest there are differences between the sexes, right. that makes you a sex. So they, just like the word racist, that just the fact that you're white now makes you a racist. So well, what do words even mean anymore, right. right? It's like Humpty Dumpty. Words mean whatever I want them to mean. Yeah. Uh, and so a true Socratic dialogue is going to begin with understanding what words actually mean, what defining they mean your words. and what they don't mean. Defining your words, making careful distinctions right. and discernment. And, you know, A can't equal, you know, one can't equal two in the same way in the same time. They, they, they can't. There's a law of, non- of non-contradiction. You can't just throw these things out. And your own narrative or personal story yeah. doesn't take away from the truth of something. So we are trying to, we're going back and forth to get closer to wisdom, not to just to have a, a debate that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, there, there, there is a. We're, we're on a journey towards truth, and we believe that truth is there. We not, we not, may not be able to get to it, but we believe it's there, and that there are some kind of standards for our dialogue. It's not anything goes, and you can't shout people down, or you're no longer having a dialogue. Right. Well, and I think that's, you know, it, it's such a dangerous moment because, again, as we talked about earlier, it, it's you've almost kind of neutered the whole process, yeah. right? You can't go forward if there's no way to even have the discussion, yeah. if the words aren't even going to be willing to, to be defined. So I, just, again, we don't have a ton of time, but as you think about maybe back to Socrates one more time, just what were some other examples? I mean, there was a great example that on the trial, you know, when he's actually forcing them to think logically right. through this sequence. So what are other examples maybe of antiquity where you're seeing that sort of, let me, We've got barbarians at the gate. Right. How do we actually sort of re- reframe everything and move move into a healthy, civilized future? I mean, just a wonderful way, because most people are familiar with Antigone. Right? Um, the play Antigone is allowing for a public discourse in the Athenian democracy. Right? And you know the story. There was a civil war between these two brothers. And Creon decided that one brother is going to get a, a funeral that's going to be, you know, uh, public and wonderful, and the other one gets thrown to the dogs, right? Because he thinks that's the only way we can stop a further civil war. But Antigone, the sister of the two brothers, she realizes that, no, there's a higher law. This, this, this law you've made, this man-made law you've made is violating a deeper law of piety, and I am going to give my brother a proper burial. And she's put on trial. And the, the point is that we, we less and less have things like Greek tragedies that will allow us to discuss these issues yeah. in any sort of objective, rational way. Yeah. Stop screaming at each other, and everybody is experienced together. The actors on the right. stage are wrestling with it. Not just the literati, but the regular <laughs> citizens are yeah. listening to this yeah. and wrestling with it. And you know that we have to remind ourselves that we're moral, ethical creatures, that we're held to a standard. So almost all of the tragedies... And one way or another, are providing a vehicle 
for a a society-wide discussion. Like, one of the things that still disturbs me, I mean, it's really cool. I understand why people like it. It just came back to Houston. It's called Body Works. And oh, they've yes, taken yes. bodies, they plastic it up. And all I think is, I'm not saying it's evil, but I'm like, couldn't we have had some kind of civil discussion as a society before we do something that would have horrified anybody in the past? Right. I mean, you don't just take a human body and just put it on display. Right, with the right? skin mo- mo- yeah. removed. Yeah. I mean, this is, I'm, yeah. I'm not necessarily even saying that it's evil, but it's like, we need to discuss this. We it Just because we can is do it. Is there an ethic behind it? Yeah, it doesn't right. mean we should do it. We right. need to, this would have been a great way to discuss. Right. And here, let me just show you how America works. Yeah. Whenever <laughs> I asked... Is this really an okay thing to do ethically? The answer always is, well, no, no. The bodies of those people that were on display, they all gave their consent for that. <laughs> you see how that right. is, in other, it's, all, it's consensual, it's sort of. Right. It can't be wrong because we both conceded to it, right? Yep. And we still have Which this is idea. The answer for everything. Yeah, right. we still have this idea that until a girl is 16, she can't give consent. But pretty soon that'll go away too. We'll right. make it 12 or whatever. And then and then suddenly it's it's okay. The promiscuity is okay once she's 16 years and one day. Right. But 16 years minus one day. There's an ethical it, problem. Yeah, right. there's an ethical problem. Just, yeah. just like, you know, the, 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 the child's, you know, half right. out of the womb. You could yeah, do right. it. You know, kind of, but, but what I'm saying is, is that we need a vehicle where we can really discuss these issues and we're becoming less and less able so much so that even the classic liberals are getting upset wait a minute we're class- we fought for freedom of speech and now you're throwing it out you're canceling everything right. I don't agree with this guy but I do agree that we right. need to talk or we're never going to be able to think through the implications yeah. and again if you only have specialists you're in trouble that's why you need bioethics right? you need a board where there's all different people talking about the implications of biology yeah and what I'm hearing, you know, again, kind of weaving together the, the, our conversation here. I mean, we're, we're talking about, again, looking behind us to find these models uh, of, of healthy engagement and right. dialogue and discussion. Um, but what I'm also hearing you say is not just to stop at, okay, we learned how to not club each other while we're talking. Right. We're having a decent discussion now. But what the end game with regards to our identifying, what does it mean to be human? I mean, this is what we want of right. our students. Is this awareness of both our our brokenness and our our glorious you know made in the imago, right. imago day so there's this there's a there's a purpose of what all of our students are going through not only to learn just how to talk well to each other right. but to see themselves properly and sort of you know in the hierarchy of, because, of the world because if you lose either one if you lose the understanding that we have the imago day that we have essential value and worth because yeah. we're made in the image of god if you lose that then we just become cogs in the machine sure then education becomes a, a chicken it's factory, a brave new you know? world yeah. right but if you go to the other extreme and you forget that we have original sin, total depravity, then you're going to keep trying to build utopia, and it always leads to horror. Right. Right. And right. talking about education, John Dewey was a sort of disciple of both Darwin and uh, what's his name, Rousseau. Right. Rousseau. You know, yeah. again, you know, everything's sure. And and t- together, you, you, again, we, we've. It's it's. I don't know. Like we live in a country right now, Davies, that has people that have turned. Uh, 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 exercise into a crazy religion mm-hmm. and we have the worst obesity in all time in history yeah and sometimes it's, it's the same person i mean we, in other words we've we've lost aristotle's golden meat mm. we've lost an understanding of proper health and we go to one extreme where we're destroying our body or we're actually destroying our body from over exercise right we're actually hurting ourselves yeah yeah and 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 all of it in a way is sort of gnostic because the other thing is mm. what does it mean to be an enfleshed soul what does it mean to be fully physical and fully spiritual now the greeks are understanding that a little bit, but you, you need the Bible for a fullness. I mean, there are some things that Plato can only go so far. Yeah. Right? But Plato will at least take us, will, will engage the conversation, will understand 
our innate dignity, but he wouldn't have called it original sin. But Plato and Socrates understood the limits, why there needs to be a law to shape us, that you need to, right. you know, as C.S. Lewis says, uh, well, there can't be a moral ethical law code because we have to teach morality to our kids. Well, we also have, we also have to teach the mathematical tables to our kids. Yeah. We don't invent the mathematical tables, we discover them. Well, it's the same way. It's there. It's, it's their word cosmos, which mm-hmm. means ordered universe, that they saw the same order in the cosmos. They saw that same order in logic. They saw that same order in the soul. They even saw it in their beautiful art and architecture and sculpture. Yeah. And they are trying to, this is this idea of paideia, you're trying to educate someone in, in keeping with those standards. You're trying to mold them in accordance with the right. good, the true, and the beautiful. Yep. Yep. Whereas now they're trying to mold students, but in accordance with an ever-shifting, progressive yep. view of things that right. doesn't really have any standards because it's different tomorrow than it was yesterday. Um, so we, we, we've lost it. If you don't have those standards, and we obviously we get those standards most from the Bible, but we also learn those full fullness of those standards in, in, in the Greco-Roman world. I mean, Augustine invented the Middle Ages by taking the Greco-Roman and Judeo-Christian and, and fusing them together. Right. He basically created the Middle Ages, which means he created Europe, and he created the university and everything that's come out of it. And, and here we now, are today. Right, yeah, we are. Right. And now we want to... Destroy know, it all. Yeah. 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 What Lewis would say, uh, it is the rebellion of the branches against the tree. If the branches <laughs> ever won, they would have destroyed themselves because yep. they would have cut off the tree. Exactly. Right? That's really well said, Louis. Well, we are about at time, but that that is a very, I think, a great way to end our conversation here. And I certainly want to invite people to uh, jump into more of your writings and, and thinking. I mean, we'll be presenting, or you'll be presenting at the SEL conference um, and... And again, anytime anybody gets access to your work, tell folks who are interested, where can they find Easiest your, your way, book? Just yeah. go to Amazon.com, okay. type in Louis Marcos, L-O-U-I-S-M-A-R-K-O-S, is Greek with a K. Yeah. Type in it and you'll find my uh, Amazon author page and all my 22 books are there. It's and so everything. great. Uh, and uh, the well, Plato book is pre-order. Okay. It's not quite okay. out yet, but all the other it's books are soon. out. And I've even got one called Ancient Voices, Classical Greece and Classical Rome, where it's all primary material. Let's yeah. listen to what they have to teach us. Yeah. Stop in. That's why I don't like textbooks because textbook impose our own modern prejudices on the past. Let's read it now. Okay, we're reading it translation, but get a good translation unless you go to a classical Christian school and learn Latin. Okay, <laughs> right. Uh, but let, let's take it and let's let's give them a hearing. Yeah. We may decide we disagree with them, but let's listen to them instead of filtering them immediately through our own prejudices. Pre-digesting the whole yeah. thing for us. Well, it's. It's a, I, I'm encouraged by this conversation, Luke, because, again, I think there's a lot of folks listening that are thinking, where in the world, you know, it's all going to hell in a handbag. How, yes. do we, how do we find any hope here? Well, the good news is civilization's always been teetering on the edge of, of evil and brokenness and craziness. And the way to recover has been, you know, it was the, it was the Irish saving civilization. I mean, there have been all these moments throughout history where those who, uh, who knew the truth. Said, yeah. le- learning in wartime. Learning no, war- I mean, exactly. You, you do understand that every single generation of Christians has believed the world was going to end in their generation. Every <laughs> yeah. one of oh, you're right. Good people, right? Sure. And, and there have been problems before. Civilization has been dying forever. Right. But we just keep bringing it alive. Yeah. And, and, that, you know? and that life, again, is coming not only through Scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit, but obviously through these truths that have been embedded in these great books and great ideas. Chesterton so, said yeah. that the church is like her Lord. She's always dying. <laughs> always being reborn. Amen to that. So, yeah, got to keep it. Be hopeful. Be, be hopeful. It is hopeful. It is. Yeah. Hopeful. Louis Marcus, thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to having you back again. Great. Good to be on. Hey there, everyone. This is Paul Drake with Basecamp Live and the Society for Classical Learning. Davies and I are excited you tuned in today. 
We want to hear where you are listening from. So send in a shout out or a question to info at basecamplive.com. And don't forget, share this podcast with someone you think will benefit from it. And until next time, keep on raising the next generation.